The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Miss Meg, as always. Well, uh, it is the second Sunday of the month, and uh, many of you who have been with us the last, it's hard to believe, six months we've done this. Uh, we've been going through the marks of a healthy church, marks of a healthy church, and the first mark preached by Nelson in January was about uh, biblical preaching, why we need preaching in our church. Mark number two by Brother Nathan or Nathaniel was about b- biblical theology, why you know what you believe. Uh, the third, and I joke with him about this every month, the fastest sermon I've ever heard in my life. Uh, was Brian Owens, uh, preached about the gospel back in March. In April, we had uh, Brother Dave preach over uh, what it means to be uh, truly converted as a mark of a healthy church. Last month, uh, we got him up to the front row for one week. John Moody uh, preached uh, uh, over evangelism, why it's important that we share the gospel as a church. So preaching, theology, gospel, uh, I, I said I could do this without writing it down. Uh, conversion, evangelism, and today, Brother John Higgins is going to come, our chairman of deacons, and preach on what it means to be a church member. And John, even as I say this, as a pastor, my flesh says, oh, that's so boring. But it's not boring. This is exciting stuff, because it's all about what we want to be and do at this church. So today, as Brother John comes, I want to thank you all again for the privilege once a month for myself to sit and listen and hear God's Word Thank you for that privilege. I don't take that lightly, but I want you to say the caliber of men who are preaching far out preaches your pastor and because we have men in our church who are able and, and sufficient by God's grace to deliver the word. And what a blessing that is that we have so many men in our church who can stand up and preach God's word. So, Brother John, uh, I don't have anything else. I ha- thought I had a funny story about you, but your family can tell all those all day, so I'll let those be. Brother, why don't you come on up and preach for us as you do, John, as you preach. Thank you. Good morning. Can everybody hear me? Is that loud? Loud enough? Okay. I pray this morning that I have interpreted the Lord's word rightly and in the context that he wrote it. And that he'll bless you, make you spiritually and eternally prosperous through his word and through his church this morning. A freelance missionary visited the pastor of a local church once asking for financial support. The pastor asks him, what group are you associated with? The man said, I belong to the invisible church. I'm not associated with a particular group. The pastor then asked, but what church are you a member of? The man again replied, I, don't, I belong to the invisible church. I don't need organized religion or a building to attend to follow Jesus. Obviously, obviously a little bit suspicious at this point, the pastor said, well, when does this invisible church meet and who pastors this invisible church? Missionary became indignant, said, well, your church here isn't the true church. 
It's full of fallible people. You do things wrong all the time. So I belong to the invisible church. So the pastor looks at him and says, well, here's some invisible money so you can minister to your invisible church. The point of that is, the church is visible. God created it to be visible. It's a community built by God for His purposes. It's a supernatural community that confounds the natural laws of this world. It's a community that is to make the gospel very visible. It's a community that fosters belonging. I'll be talking about five reasons why it is important to be a church member. To be a member means belonging to a particular group or being part of a group. Belonging to a particular group or being part of a group. Membership matters. It matters first and foremost because Jesus calls us to link together with other believers to be his bride. It is part of following him. It is obedience. But it also matters because community matters. Belonging matters. A Christian community makes our faith plausible. When we're tempted to believe this world's lies, and we will be tempted, community helps us remember that God's truth is perfect. It's good. It's the only thing that matters. So before I jump into the five good reasons to be a church member, I want to read our foundational text. I'm going to break this verse down and show how a proper understanding of this verse is crucial to realizing and motivating us to desire church membership and how we should act when we get there. Please stand and we will read Matthew 10.38. It's on page 815 of your pew Bible. This will be the shortest stand of your scripture reading tenure here at Tower View. Matthew 10:38 And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is unworthy of me. Let us pray. I pray Lord that this text that we just read and your meaning of it will penetrate our hearts in a transforming way. A way that helps us realize in a deeper way the selflessness that you require to follow you. That the cross, even our cross, is always about Jesus and not so much about us. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. You can be seated. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The word cross was used only 28 times in all of Scripture. And all 28 times it was in the New Testament. Literally, it means a stake 
for a post. But figuratively, it means exposure to death. To follow means to be in the same way or to accompany as a disciple. So this was the first time that the disciples heard Jesus ever mention the cross. The first mention of the cross from Jesus. When the disciples heard, take his cross, the only thought they would have had was that of physical death. Take means to get a hold of, to choose, to seize almost in a violent way. So Jesus was telling them that if you want to accompany me, if you want to be in the same way as me, you must be willing to choose or seize the possibility of physical death. And only then are you worthy of me. Worthy meaning deserving or suitable to be led by him. That's a tough shift to get on board. Can anyone say commitment? So now about this cross that Jesus says that we are to take up. This cross is not our hardships and tragedies of this life. Many think it is. That's not the reference. That's not the context. It's not an abusive spouse, an addicted child, a home that was demolished by fire, a violent parent or a debilitating illness. These things most certainly test your faith, but they are not our cross. The cross of us as a believer in the context of Scripture is not some spiritual identification that we share with Jesus or some crucified life idea. The cross is death. Any way you look at it, the cross is death. When Jesus took his cross, it was death, at least for a minute. But when we take our cross, what does that mean? What does that look like? How is the cross that we are to take up death to us? Here in America, our hearing and our context of Jesus' words fall a little softer. In fact, they fall a lot softer, at least for now. For us, there's not a probability that we will die for our faith. There's not a probability that we'll die for sharing the gospel. But there is a guarantee that he is calling us to seize and choose death to self, both literally and practically. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The practical application of taking up our cross is to confess Jesus and obey him and to die to self daily. Completely abandon me for the lordship of Jesus Christ. So death to self means life to others through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. It is a commitment to Jesus and the great love of his life, his church. Revelation 19, 7 through 8 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. 
for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteousness is the righteous acts of the saints. At the time of the rapture, this marriage of the Lamb will come. We as his church will be presented to him in clean, bright, fine linen. These righteous acts of the saints is not the righteousness imputed to us at salvation, but the outward workings of inward virtue in our lives after salvation. And the big part of this righteousness, this inward virtue, is a self-denying, love one another, commitment to the bride of Christ, his church. Commitment means the state of being dedicated to a cause. Committing to membership of a church is being dedicated to the cause of the gospel. Being dedicated and obedient to Jesus Christ himself. Take up the cross and being led by him in a worthy way. So now I will share five reasons that all Christians should join a church. Five reasons? What about the three-point sermon? Forgive me, Lord, for being a wayward Southern Baptist. <laughs> oh, never mind, you're not a Southern Baptist. You're God. These five reasons are not in any particular order. They're also not all of the reasons that one should join a church. But they're certainly reasons that are supported by Scripture. And they are certainly reasons that are important to furthering the gospel and his kingdom here on earth. So reason number one, that all Christians should join and become a member of a church, to become part of that group, to edify and serve other Christians. To edify and serve other Christians. The Christian life is not just about you and those that you're personally trying to reach with the gospel. In Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about how the giftedness that, that God has placed in his church for the purpose of serving him through serving others will also edify his church. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
So reason number one, to edify and serve other Christians. In verse 11, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers certainly are referring to positions of leadership within the local church. But their responsibility, which is indicated in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ, those two things are the spiritual service required of every Christian, every church member. The foundation and home base of this spiritual service is the local church. which in verse 16 shows causes growth for the body for the edifying of itself in love where every part does its share. Remember, being part of a group is the definition of member. To edify the body of Christ, to edify his church means to instruct and improve the faith and holiness of one another to nurture one another, to walk with one another. Literally, it means to build one another. You can't edify one another. You can't build one another if you're sitting at home in your jockey shorts and yoga pants eating cheese balls. You just can't. Verse 13 says, Till we come to the unity of faith. Harmony of faith. Harmony of our faith. Harmony of the full gospel. And sound doctrine comes through the edifying of one another. Not through eating cheese balls, spiritual cheese balls at home. Alone watching whoever your favorite preacher on TV is that week. But through fellowship through the relationship of you, another, and Jesus Christ himself. A three-way relationship that always edifies because the only thing you need to have in common is the Lord himself. So if you choose to not become a committed member of a church, you're minimizing your commitment to Jesus. You are not fully taking your cross for the sake of building his church, for the sake of edifying his church. Reason number two, to be a member of your local church, to have Christ-like leaders to follow by word and by example. To have Christ-like leaders to follow by word and by example. In Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, both of these verses assume that you're part of or a member of a local church. Verse 7 says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. You may say to yourself, I'm not to follow man, but Jesus Christ alone. As Hebrews just showed us, that's just not biblically accurate I shared this with my Sunday school just recently numerous of you have heard it if you haven't John MacArthur a pastor in California was having a round table with a bunch of college students one time and they were talking about leadership 
and following earthly leaders as compared to following Christ. And one of the gentlemen asked him, he said, well, how do we know what leaders we should follow? Men are fallible. They make mistakes. They sin. Of course, we all know that. Every, each and every one of us do. Even our leaders make mistakes. Even our leaders sin. So how do we know whether we should follow any given leader? And John MacArthur said, well, it's not about whether they sin or not, but it's how they respond to that sin. Are they remorseful? Do they repent? Those are worthy leaders. How they respond to sin. Verse 7 says, whose faith follow. In other words, imitate their faith. I think we all remember parents who say, do what I say, not what I do. Maybe you've been one of those parents. Just let me say that any of us that might happen to have said that, well, we, we, we realized we might have been a little bit less than smart. Being a member of a church gives you direct relational access to godly leaders that you can imitate. Godly leaders that you can look at and do what they do as well as what they say. Just seeing your, godly, your leader's godly and biblical actions are a great motivation to strive for a more righteous and holy life. Seeing them in action helps you realize, hey, I can do better too. They have the same challenges I do. My pastor isn't immune from these challenges in life. And look at his trust. Look at his surrender. Whoever it is, the leadership in your church, look at how they submit to the Lord in obedience. They can be very motivating for us. Verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So those who rule over you are those who preach, those who teach, and those who apply Scripture. They serve you if you're, the member of, if you're a member of a church. They serve you on behalf of Christ, and they will be held accountable to that. If you're not a member, regular, regularly attending services, your commitment to the bride of Christ and hence to Christ himself suffers greatly. Jesus Christ is about commitment to him and his church. Do you take up your cross, deny yourself, and obey those who have been raised up by the Lord himself? And this is to be done without giving your leaders grief. Allow them to do their leading joyfully. As verse 17 says, be submissive to their preaching, to their teaching, to their application of Scripture. You won't be as compelled to do this if you don't commit to membership, if you don't commit to belonging to this particular group. When we don't belong, we won't fully understand biblical accountability. For that matter, when we don't belong, we won't fully understand biblical responsibility. 
So if you choose to not become a committed member of a church, you are minimizing your commitment to Christ. You are not fully taking your cross for the sake of putting yourself under godly leaders who are raised up to equip you to give you a real-life example to follow. Reason number three to become a member of a church to give a structure to your Christian life. To give a structure to the, your Christian life so that you have a structure that doesn't fail. A structure that will withstand an opposing force. A structure that will stand strong against adversarial challenges. But a structure must have a foundation. This structure to our Christian life is what I will call a structure of love. The gospel-centered, healthy church, at its foundation, is built on love. There's a Francis Chan story that he told a few years ago. He's a pastor also from California. He was the pastor of a mega church, And at this point in his career, he preached the soft gospel. He was not preaching the full gospel. And they were very evangelistic. They would go out on the street, streets of California in their city and invite people to church. And one Sunday, one of the people showed up, a man that he had preached to. And this gentleman was a member of a gang. And he showed up in church looking just like he did on the street. Francis was all excited. Showed up the next week. He showed up for like two and a half months every Sunday. Seemed totally committed. Seemed to get it. And then all of a sudden he didn't show up. Francis Chan was concerned. It's like, what is going on? So he went out onto the street after he didn't show up two Sundays in a row to, hunt, to look for this gentleman. He finally found him, caught up with him. And he talked to him and said, you've been, coming for, you've been coming to our church for two and a half months. What happened? Why haven't you been there? And he says, your church has no love. It's not family. I have a better family with my gang family on the streets, so that's where I went back to. Kind of a sad story. I'm going to read three verses out of 1 John 5, 1 through 3. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Genuine saving faith produces love, which produces obedience. The love of God is keeping his commandments, and keeping his commandments is a structure of love. This isn't only our love of God, but also how we know we love the children of God. 
When verse 2 says, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. The word keep conveys the idea of a constant obedience. For you to be constantly obedient to his commandments, you must love God as well as love the children of God so deeply, so sincerely, that you can't help but commit to belonging to the group. Commit to church membership. Being a member places an individual Christian's claim to obey and follow Jesus into a real-life setting where love is the pillar of all the relationships. So if you choose to not become a member, a committed member of a church, you are minimizing your commitment to Jesus. You are not fully taking your cross for the sake of giving yourself a structure to your life, a structure of love. Reason number four. It builds a witness and invites the lost world in. Very familiar scriptures. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are, the, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In these four verses, Jesus, Jesus summarizes the Christian's function in this world, your function. Reduced to one word, that function is influence. This function or this influence will consciously or unconsciously affect other people, for better or for worse, but it will affect them. So belonging to a group of salters, a church that has an exponentially more powerful influence on being a preservative of God's righteousness in this lost and confused world. Belonging to a group of lighters, a church signs, shines a much brighter light of love and truth into a dark and hopeless world than individuals can. One of the amazing things about being members of a church is that one plus one does not equal two. It equals four. Sounds like a really good deal when it comes to donuts, but it's a better deal when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the Lord. It's a greater deal. He promised in the Great Commission, I am with you always. So when two are gathered, four are there. The Lord's with each of those two. So one plus one does equal four. When it comes to our Lord, he'll use the power of numbers in mighty ways, in community transformative ways, in country transformative ways. Look what he did with 12 simple men. 
He transformed billions of people to this day with those 12 men. The power of multiplicity. Paul says to, Paul says to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Belonging to a particular group, belonging to a church in fellowship, in unity, can be one of the most redemptive acts that we can pursue. So if you choose to not become a committed member of a church, you are minimizing your commitment to Jesus. You are not fully taking your cross for the sake of building a witness to a world that so desperately needs it. The fifth reason, the last reason, to become a member of a church is to expose false gospel. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. I really wonder how many members of a local gospel-preaching church that attend every, every week also watch Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or Joseph Prince for their supplemental sermons. I would guess very, very few. Why? Because their local church, through the preaching of the full truth, exposes these false gospels. Man has always sought after the ultimate reality. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my part in the grand scheme of things? This is called philosophy or the love and pursuit of wisdom. Every individual has a philosophy of life. From the simplicity of a Homer Simpson to the complexity of an Aristotle. But does our philosophy come from the tradition of men, as Paul warns? Or does it come from Jesus Christ, the author of truth? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. This verse states that our philosophy of life shouldn't be based on empirical evidence. It shouldn't be based on things the eye has not seen or the ear can hear. It also shouldn't be based on rationality, that which has entered the heart of man, as that verse said, but should be based on the things which God has prepared for those who love him, based on faith. Mankind, us, me, you, we love to be told things that we would like to believe. Some truths are harder than others. We just want everything to be okay. What false gospels do is combine the tradition of men that Paul warns us about with true faith into a flavor that leads people away from the Lordship of Christ and a flavor that mixes things that we would like to believe, things that, is, that are good to our senses, 
with that which what God has prepared for us. All of this ends with outright disobedience. You cannot mix the two. It ends with people thinking of themselves way too much. It creates a lack of self-denial. I had read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 earlier. I'm going to go back to verse 16 of Ephesians 4. It says, According to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body. When some parts are missing, when you don't become a part of the group, when you don't commit to church membership, the body of Christ suffers. We need the whole body to preserve doctrine. Not just the doctrine that we're comfortable with. Every one of us have some parts of Scripture we're just not quite comfortable with. When the church has a diversity of members, members that bring different life experiences, members that understand what another cannot, it helps his church stay faithful to the full gospel. None of us know it all. Our pastor doesn't know it all. Diversity and differences are only weaknesses without having something in common, though. When you commit to membership, the one thing that all members have in common is Jesus Christ himself. And he is all that is needed to keep false gospels out of his church. So if you choose to not become a committed member of a church, you're minimizing your commitment to Jesus. You're not fully taking your cross for the sake of exposing false gospels, for the sake of helping keep his church doctrinally pure. Membership is essential to even giving us half a chance to fulfill what the Lord has called us to be. It is essential for authentic relationships that we were created to have. It is essential to begin training us for the holy community that he has in store for us in heaven. It is essential. What about all of you who are members of a church, which are probably the majority here? Have I not been speaking to you? Are you living a life of engagement in your church? Are you living a life of self-denial for the purpose of your church, for the purpose of your community? I encourage each of you to ask your Lord, ask the Lord, how well am I fulfilling these five responsibilities? He loves you. He wants you. He wants all of you, every single part of you. He wants you to be part of his church, an engaged part of his church an engaged part of his bride. So to wrap all of this up, a complete commitment is what Jesus calls every believer to. A commitment that requires that we deny ourself. We deny self for the purpose of building up the children of God. We deny self for the purpose of having godly leaders to follow by word and by example. We deny self for the purpose of being a witness of salt and light 
in a lost world. We deny self for the purpose of exposing false gospels. But most importantly, we deny self to glorify our Father in heaven who has redeemed us through the love and sacrifice of his Son, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Thank you.